Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today we are tackling a, a new film with an uh, old friend of the pod, Andrew Stamper. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be uh, joining you once again. Straight out of Hotlanta. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's quite as hot as what you're dealing with over in Austin. I saw the uh, the fact that you guys are like in a like advisory thing going on right now. Yeah, the green belt is bone dry. That's been kind of a bummer, and it's definitely getting hot. But luckily, you know, we're already it's already August, so you know, once we hit October, then we're good to go. I think usually. Yeah, buddy. But I have uh, I have punished Andrew. And made him watch this film, this film called Possession, uh, written and directed by Andrzej Zulowski, is how the name is pronounced. I, we will just call him Zulowski, uh, since we're American trash. <laughs> um, film that was co-written with uh, Frederick Tutin, who was a novelist, I believe. Uh, came out in 1981, was shot in Berlin in 1980. In mostly in a Turkish neighborhood called Kreuzberg, and the film had a $2.4 million budget overall. But uh, before, before we get into sort of the meat of this, I'm kind of curious. Let's just give me your unbridled, like, opinion up front. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I had a difficult time ever really getting into this movie. And for a myriad of reasons, but like the, I, the, I, I think really the, the only way I can, I can, I can say it is I, I watched it. <laughs> you watched the movie. Watched yes. The movie, yes. That's I, good. So that, that's, <laughs> that's really all I can, all I can say. I, I didn't enjoy the film. Um, I particularly thought the the acting was it, it took me out i couldn't be lost in this fantasy world that you know that we're in and okay. um so for me i i couldn't i couldn't be along and i you know i did this on two attempts and i just i you know the thing is i love sam neil um but it just the the directing of the actors was disorienting because i even if they were along for the ride, I didn't, I didn't particularly believe them okay. in uh, some of just like the, yeah, just across the board. I I, I couldn't, I'm like, I, at no time I'm like, all right, this is fucking wacky and I'm in it. I was just like, all right, I, I'm just not. I'm not feeling this. So let me go ahead and watch this for the next two hours and see <laughs> oh if I can get bought into it. Okay. Which obviously didn't happen for you. Didn't quite happen, unfortunately. I mean, fair enough. I would say out of all the films definitely that I've selected, this might be the one that I like the least out of all in terms of, you know, kind of where it ranks among them. But I, do think I did I did like it mm-hmm. um, I mean it's probably not in my top 30 films I don't know if it's one that I'd necessarily want to watch again either but I did I think take some really I thought it was interesting uh, definitely was interesting I think to kind of get a look into the film 
And I guess I should give a little bit of background about how I kind of even heard about this. Had you even heard about the film other than me mentioning it previously? No. And when you brought it up, I admittedly, I was pretty jazzed about this. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, because it's very, very rare. And I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but I've seen a lot of fucking weird movies. And, uh, so when this came up, when you were explaining this, I'm like, all right, this, this seems like something that'll be right up my alley. And, uh, yeah. But to answer your question, no, I hadn't heard about it. So the Austin Film Society had done a screening of another one of Zulowski's films called On the Silver Globe, I think. And uh, so sometimes at night they will have their, they call it their late series. And for that they have someone that comes out and they'll kind of give a little preamble, like a maybe 10 minute introduction to the film and the filmmaker. And they mentioned Possession uh, prior to that screening. And so that kind of, caught my attention and then the more that I looked into it I was like well th- this sh- this kind of sounds really interesting it'd be something I haven't seen this will be challenging let me take a look at it and so but however up until this point for the podcast I had not actually watched the film and one thing that was mentioned is that when it comes to the acting or let's say this Zulowski is not someone who is subtle <laughs> and I think your critique of the performances kind of bears that out, right? And uh, on that note, let's go ahead and just, I don't have a lot to say about the acting, to be honest. That was probably like the least um, interesting aspect of the film. But we will see, uh, you mentioned Sam Neill, a young and handsome Sam Neill um, as our, I guess, our male lead. And then we have Isabel Ajan- A- Ajani, as Anna, as his wife, and those are kind of our primary actors. I won't even, I didn't even bother, you know, even looking up the remainder of the cast. I don't think anyone else was all all that well-known. Um, they were mostly, I think, so Isabel Ajani was a French actress of some notoriety there. And of course, Sam Neill, obviously, probably not super well-known at the time, but I thought performance-wise, I don't know. I, w- I was kind of immersed a little bit. It was a, definitely a weird kind of vibe to, you know, a lot of, I guess, overacting, and that's probably what I would say threw you, threw you out of your uh, immersion in the film, right? Yeah, I think, I think that, that that's a very, uh, very fair statement, the overacting with the... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of dug it. I mean, it's not one, I'm trying to think of another film that we've covered that had like superb acting. It wasn't one of those that I would say like the performances here really stand out overall in terms of like technical acting or anything like that. But I thought they did a pretty serviceable job and, uh, (laughs) you'll have to give Ajani some credit for that subterranean uh, subway subway system scene sure (laughs) where she just kind of like freaking the fuck out yeah it um yeah (laughs) um so 
I remember like uh, watching that scene and just reminded reminded me of a couple music videos that, that I've seen where just people being weird in a little tunnel kind of worked in this movie. I, 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 I just, yeah. Yeah. Again. And I, I feel really, really bad. I, I, that, that scene felt like it took 10 years to right. like, ju- just like, it, it just, it, I'm like, all right, okay, let's, let's, let's move along. But Sure. It definitely did drag on quite a bit, uh, but I guess we should sort of orient people that, I guess I even forgot to do like a synopsis of the plot here. Oh yeah, which I should back Shit, that's up. How we, yeah, I think that's, that's how yeah. I usually start. But um, so we have Sam Neill, who is ostensibly some type of secret agent or spy or something like that. He's been abroad for some time, an undetermined amount of time. He returns home and um, I don't forget it, how it even comes to the fore but his wife uh anna has been having an affair and so that sort of drives sam neil absolutely batshit crazy (laughs) um and he's sort of so they have a young son as well named bob right (laughs) i mean and why not (laughs) yeah let's name him bob and so sam neil's character takes over the care of the child and the wife Anna moves across town, and let's see. <laughs> then things I mean, sort shout of shout out to the uh, the like the parent of the year award right there. Like when Sam Neil comes in, and the kids obviously have been neglected for God knows how long, and it just got like, was it like syrup or like jelly or something on him? Um, where like he yeah he hasn't like he's been like this poor little kid's been like neglected for like forever. And so then Sam Neill somehow, I forget how he comes stumbles across her lover, Heinrich, his wife's lover, Heinrich, and they have a pretty interesting confrontation. And then ultimately, we find out that Anna has been having uh, an affair with something far darker and, and creepier, <laughs> uh, maybe some type of Lovecraftian beast octopus yeah Yeah. something tentacly and cthulhu like and that's probably the best synopsis that i can come up with i mean the plot is not really the strong point of the film i would say really it's more so about mood atmosphere and Mm -hmm. utter Mm -hmm. insanity yeah (laughs) yeah basically you just see um yeah just a a, a family in chaos, and then upon discovery that a wife is having an affair, and then another affair, and the other affair is far more, yet yeah, as you said, darker and more sinister, and just how it overcomes his life as well as hers, and to the point where that they, yeah, fuck it, I, I'm, I'm just going to leave it with that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but... We'll move on to writing, and I've got plenty to talk about here. So this was actually an sort of autobiographical story from Zulowski's wife. He was married to this woman, and they had a small child together, and he ended up taking care of the, of the child once they kind of fell apart. And so he's writing from a very, you know, strong, like, personal relationship basis here. 
Um, some things that he mentioned were that he's a strong believer in couples and marriages, which I thought was interesting. And I guess you sort of see that in the way that Sam Neill sort of devolves and really takes it pretty roughly that Anna has left. Um, there were some really interesting dialogue. It definitely wasn't the most natural dialogue in the world. It really reminded me of something like that film that Cormac McCarthy did, The, the Counselor. I never saw The Counselor. So it's very kind of philosophical, rambling dialogue to some degree. Like, definitely not very natural dialogue that actual people within the real world would speak. Which, for me, doesn't necessarily bother me all that much. It just kind of depends on the film, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not every film has to have you know, absolutely insane, you know, rapid fire dialogue or really witty dialogue or anything, as long as it's getting the the story across. Sure. But the, yeah, no, please continue. (laughs) I think some of the conceptual aspects of the dialogue were really interesting. Um, There's a quote from Heinrich here that I thought was pretty interesting was that, there's a fundamentally vulgar structure of the triangle as in the love triangle, which kind of sounds profound. But in this case, obviously that vulgar structure, like I really wonder what he was trying to get at there. I, (laughs) um, and again, I apologize. Yeah. I don't know. And what, like, I'm, I'm sure you, you you probably have some type of trajectory of where you're going with this, but what I what I'll just go ahead and say with the dialogue, I didn't particularly like much of it. I thought there were a few little nuggets that kind of like that did elicit some type of emotion that I think were that were useful to again to get the the plot of sorts to move forward, um, but as a as a whole the the dialogue really i i yeah i i think the movie the acting isn't important the dialogue generally isn't important it's just the the i think just the the mood and the the stylized aspect of what he's trying to do visually i think is really what this movie is all about yeah. And in many ways, I think this movie could have probably been better as a silent film with minimal dialogue, um, where I think we you probably would have been able to get the same type of emotion because at sometimes I feel like I felt like the, the lines that they were saying apart from, you know, like uh, when Mark said, you know, you look vulgar to me um, after that scene, like, okay, you know, that was an interesting, that was an interesting moment. Um, with what was going on in the story, but as a whole, just you know, some of the lines where it's essentially, um, you know, we're getting a little religion in there, we're getting a little philosophy, but some of it just felt very, for me, very kind of like heavy-handed. Like, okay, you're really trying to say something, where, but 
Yeah, and the seams are kind of showing, definitely. Yeah, I definitely can see that for sure. I mean, look at, listen here, we'll just give you a prime example is this quote. There is nothing to fear except God, whatever that means for you. For me, God is a disease. That's why through disease we can reach God. <laughs> You're like, huh? What? Um, here's another one, and this is from Mark. I'm at war against women. They have no foresight. There's nothing about them that's stable. There's nothing to trust. They're dangerous. And to which Anna responds, there's nothing uncommon about women except menstruation. Yeah, that sounds like that is one spurned man kind of <laughs> like he he's angry at his ex. Um Yeah. Here's a pretty good one though. I kinda like this one. I come from a place where evil seems easier to pinpoint because you can see it in the flesh. It becomes people so you know the danger of being deformed by it, which doesn't mean I admire your world, but I find these pathetic stories of women contaminating the universe. Yeah, that was cool. That was uh, that scene with uh, with uh, with Anna's uh, doppelganger, right? Yeah. Who yeah. Was, was it Hannah? Was that her name? I, I think so. Okay. That that little film that Mark finds at his doorstep that Heinrich had taken of Anna, I thought was <laughs> was really interesting, mm -hmm. and definitely gets into some really complex, weird. Like this is totally some psychoanalytic, like Lacanian sort of psychology here. I'm just going to read this quote. Because you say I for me, because you say I for me, It's there's two sisters, faith and change. Faith can't exclude chance. No, faith and chance. Faith can't exclude chance. My faith can't exclude chance, but chance didn't give me enough faith. Which I think is a really interesting idea that is being kind of addressed in terms of the war, the di this dialectical relationship that we see really, and I think that is maybe the central kind of motif of the film itself, is this divided city, Zulowski called it, a city of divided hearts, which is Berlin itself. Obviously, this sh shot in 1980 with the backdrop of the Berlin Wall in place. That, for me, was like one of the, like some of like the coolest imagery in the whole film. Uh not the the weird creature octopus thing and some of the the fact that everybody was like bleeding the entire movie <laughs> but the like the shots of the berlin wall i thought were really fucking i mean especially now in today's context um it's just really really powerful and neat um uh, neat is probably the the wrong word I'm, i really want to use but it was it was interesting seeing those shots I'll just jump into. I want to. I'm going to go into that sort of dialectical structure of the film a little bit later. I just want to go ahead and move on to some of the miscellaneous, neither here nor there parts of the film. Um, for me, I thought it was interesting. I saw shades of The Shining a little bit in this kind of familiar relationship with Mark and Anna and and Bob. Like Bob was sort of the Danny, and then Mark was the uh, Jack. 
and then Anna was sort of like the Wendy almost, but <laughs> maybe her dark, her dark sister. Mm. And maybe too it was that blue dress that she wore that was okay. reminiscent of the like. I think Wendy had this uh, denim outfit or something in The Shining. Trying to visualize it. I mean, um, I, I get that. I can see why. Um, where are you going with that? When I was watching this film, I, I was reminded of several other movies, you know, as well. I, um, I didn't necessarily pick up The Shining originally, but I can I can totally see that. For me, I thought of like other like metamorphosis type films like gotcha. The Fly, um, and then even to go back a couple of years. Well, shoot, I guess this was made around the same time as Altered States. Um, what other movie did I think about? Um, really, yeah, for me, I, I got a lot of the fly, a lot of altered states. Um, yeah, but, uh, The Shining is an interesting take with, um, with the, with the, with the triangle and everything. Interesting. Also, Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser, in a sense, and sort of the way that Anna was kind of like, you know, once Mark actually goes over to her, apartment he discovers there's like body parts in yeah. the refrigerator and it's yeah. like i don't know ostensibly is is she feeding like is somehow this creature like does she have to sacrifice these lives to it or and it's never really kind of made clear but it was very reminiscent almost reminded me of that kind of relationship with i forget what the character's name was in hellraiser but she would kind of lure she would like seduce men over and kill them and their blood and everything would sort of reinvigorate Frank in, in the attic, right? Yeah, no, that I think that's a, that's another really good call. I definitely can see that. Uh, and I've, I'm, I'm sure that Hellraiser, you know, um, who, that was what, Clive Barkley? Yeah, Clive Barker. Uh, Clive Barker, that's it. Um, shit, he probably was inspired, you know, um, by this film. Because, I mean, this uh, Hellraiser came out, like, years after this movie came out. Yeah, I think Hellraiser and, was, like, 88, 89, 87, okay. some, somewhere in there. Yeah, it was 80s. late 80s, yeah. where this was, like, early 80s, uh, for sure. So, yeah, that, that's a really, really cool call-out. Uh, something that, I mean, this is totally random, since so this is our miscellaneous section, but I noticed there was the, uh, like, the food truck, basically, or food stand, right? And I noticed that they had a couple of stickers. There was, like sprite and a fanta one and it said trink sprite trink fanta i missed that they had there was a fanta can or a fanta whatever yeah it was just like like i said kind of a food truck setup and they had like one sticker for fanta and one for sprite shit i in germany i i hate that i missed that i didn't even know fanta existed uh back in the day i thought that was like a 90s thing no dude fanta was actually like the brand that coke went by in germany i think even like and they like operated under during the during like nazi germany really yeah shit (laughs) had no idea i just remember fanta being like the uh the Fanta, uh, what was it? The Phantasmas or something? The do you remember that when they had like, don't you want a Fanta? <laughs> you had the the different, yeah. Um, and that that's for me. I thought that's when that shit came out. I had no idea. I had literally no idea. 
Um, oh, what were they called? Yeah. Anyway. I think the Phantasmas or something like that. The Phantasmas. <laughs> oh, Which Fantana. is actually... Fantanas. Yeah. And so, anyways, moving forward about why Zulowski chose Berlin. Um, he w- originally had wanted to shoot it in, in Poland and Warsaw. Um, and he, there's definitely elements of, he said he, a woman not living in the reality of communism necessarily, but having a, and having a strange affair and how that would be contrasted with what was going on in Eastern Europe. I don't know how exactly that fits, but I thought that was an interesting little behind the scenes look into kind of where Zalowski's head was. He wrote this film at the uh, Mayflower Hotel in New York in a tiny room he had rented for five dollars, and uh, <laughs> pa- Paramount, Paramount, for some reason, was funding him to stay there. The film was actually a, a hit in France. It never actually came to production in the U.S. market, and uh, even though the producer kind of pushed for thing the movie to be at least language-wise in English, so that it would sell better. He had, they had originally thought that they would get H.R. Geiger to do the creature design, but they ended up going with Carlo Rambaldi, who had just done, I think, E.T. or Close Encounters. That would would probably make more sense. I was going to say E.T. That was... Yeah, I think that was after this. Yeah, pretty sure E.T. was like 82, 83. I don't know, but I'm guessing, but I, I... I'm basing that all off of, like, Star Wars. Uh, (laughs) Um, It was kind of funny. Zulowski was kind of relating how Rimbaldi was sort of shocked by the lack of time they had. Um, He was used to having, like, three weeks just to shoot the, like, effect scenes, and Zulowski was basically shooting this entire film in, like, three weeks. But moving on to, I think, probably the highlight of the film, which is... The cinematography. Mm. And I was immediately immersed as soon as Mark goes to that meeting with the three gentlemen at the table. And he's sort of standing in that room and the camera sort of begins to walk around him. And it does a giant circle mm-hmm. going behind mm-hmm. the three figures at the seat of the table behind them and back around to Mark's perspective. Um, yeah, I was actually, that was one of the few things that, uh, that I liked as well was that, that specific scene. Um, like for me, it was, it was more satisfying seeing the, the computer kind of like pan around the entire room going in that circle, as opposed to like when Heinrich is doing that weird, like off the walls, uh, thing where he himself is all over the place. Um. For me, it was better to see the camera do it as opposed to a character doing it. <laughs> right. Um, but this film is definitely dominated by a lot of tracking shots and a lot of handheld work. Steadicam hadn't been invented at this point, and which, if you remember, we discussed in The Shining, which I think The Shining was like one of the early, if not the first film, to have significant Steadicam work in it. And actually, remember the inventor of Steadicam shot a lot of those scenes for The Shining. And uh, Zulowski was like, we everyone wanted 
Steadicam, but we didn't know that it was even possible. And I've got to hand it to the camera operator that did a lot of the handheld work. It's pretty smooth. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's It's well shot. Like, if you had told me that they didn't, you know, that had been done with Steadicam, I probably would have, wouldn't have noticed, like, I, you know, except for, like, a couple of scenes. Um, there was one in particular where Mark, I think, is going up the, st- it's either Mark or Heinrich's going up to the stairs to, into Anna's apartment, and the camera just does a, uh, like, a tracking shot a little bit past the the stairwell, and even Zulowski himself said, you know, if if we had had Steadicam, we could have just simply followed him up the stairwell. I'm trying to remember that that specific scene, but where? Hmm. I'm not visualizing it, honestly. Yeah, it's neither here nor there. Yeah, fair enough. As Zulowski talked about on the director's commentary that a European film might have four to five hundred camera setups, whereas a U.S. film would have something like five thousand. Just to kind of give like an example of the differential, the type, the scale of filmmaking that he was accustomed to, as opposed to like a big, you know, Hollywood film. Which, for those of the those of in the audience that don't know what a camera setup i guess we can sort of back up and explain that to some degree is so every time you're looking at characters in a film like every shot or angle is a different camera setup so you set up the camera you do your takes you might get some coverage you know you might start out wide and get tighter and tighter on your characters or what have you obviously zulowski with four to five hundred camera setups didn't have, you know, not a lot of coverage can be had at that compared to, you know, something with 5,000 camera setups. You're obviously going to be able to get a lot better coverage for editing. Um, Another little note, the camera was shot primarily with wide-angle lenses. And uh, the DP actually said that Something interesting about the wide-angle lenses is that it renders everything in the frame important, which I thought was really insightful. Yeah, no, um, without a doubt, that's that's a really good take. Because I'm thinking, he, so he was even, I think, specifically talking about, so there's a, a scene where Mark's in front of the bookshelf. So if you're not using a wide-angle lens, you know, it kind of would have been, it, so much of that would have been cut out of frame. But whenever you're in a wide angle and it's capturing everything, then you have to take that into consideration for your, you know, your sets, your set design, your set dressing, all of that, right? There's a lot more to consider and because you're capturing so much more information in the frame. I thought there was another really interesting shot was whenever Mark is leaving after kind of meeting Hannah and she's sort of stands to the side and she kind of watches him depart. Oh, at the school, the way that she kind of like rotate, like uh, how she just kind of like turns back and looks back at him as he's walking away. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I that that shot itself I thought was really really cool. Another really good one was uh, kind of the opening scenes whenever Mark and Anna are, are kind of reunited. There's a lot of camera movement there, and I think another thing about the camera movement in this film is it kept it for me at least from like bogging down. Like I think if the camera work hadn't been so dynamic, this definitely would have been a lot more of a slog to get through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, like, uh, so that's like one of like the saving graces of this film is that there, the, I think the, the camera work was, is really good. I think the, the color, uh, used in the film, I mean, some of like the vibrant colors where there's, still like some like a lot of gray shit in the movie but um on camera it look it, it looks it looks it looks like a good movie it, like and my my dislike of this film ha- it has very little to do with the technical aspects of this movie yeah. it really just comes completely down to the fact of of the acting and story itself and for me hello you've got a you know a writer on your podcast um for me, that that's one of the things like I, that I was never if if and granted this movie's an, another thing about this movie you have to be in a certain mindset to be to to watch this movie and I and I thought I was in that mindset <laughs> um, but I but you know and I and again I did try it twice but at the end of the day it, I wasn't in the right mindset but the bottom line is this movie has a massive cult following right people love the fuck out of this movie so. And uh, a little while ago, you said that eh, you don't know if you'll watch it again. I think I have to see it again at some point, just to give it a little bit of of respect because of the fact that I, you know, I generally like I can't. I don't know the last time that I had the emotional response to that that I had with this movie, where I was just like, "Fuck this movie!" <laughs> like, like I can't remember the last time I saw it. So. Um, I saw a movie that where I felt like that. So I was like, I want to come back and take a look, you know, at this movie and maybe it'll catch me in a different, a different time where I'll be like, okay, all right, I'm along for this. All right, this is cool. But the technical, I'm not going to call them achievements, but the technical style of this movie, I, I applaud. That's, that's, that's the endorsement I will give for this film. (laughs) Yeah. You definitely don't want to watch this on like, a day, a long day at work where you're stressed out and tired, or if you've been fighting with your spouse. Or oh, shit, no. Any of that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I watched it on a Sunday afternoon. I was like, no, I'm not going to watch this movie at night even. I'm going to watch this movie during the daytime for sure. Is how I yeah. did it. So both, yeah. both screenings I did were during the day. Yeah, uh, both times I watched it, it was after I put my child to sleep. And, um, but I like watching, you know, movies after dark and this is, you would think would be a good movie, um, like at nighttime. I think it, it probably is, but, um, I don't know, maybe also the, um, the, the, the time frame that I watched it, you know, as well, like just like a little like context, right? You've got this kid that's being kind of like neglected or whatever. And you've got these parents that, that aren't together. Um, as I was watching this, my wife right now is in San Diego on like on a work trip. <laughs> right. So like she's 
you know, a couple thousand miles away. So I'm not seeing her and it's like, I'm taking care of, you know, taking care of a kid. So there might, even though my wife and I are completely happily married, but the, that idea of being separated now, um, my, is an emotional separation, but right now just like a physical separation. So sure, there might've been a few things that could have been a little close to home, um, in, in, in that respect of just having two people that are isolated, but, um, yeah, um, it didn't, I, I wasn't, and I, at the end of the day, I, after trying, you know, to watch it twice or seeing it twice, just wasn't in the right mindset, but I will watch it again because like people that are into like crazy ass shit, if they love it, then there's, there, there's gotta be something there. So I will watch it again at some point in my life. Is it one, like, do you think your spouse would enjoy watching Oh, fuck no. No? There's no way, <laughs> pardon my French, there is no way my wife would like this. Yeah. Um, I give Catherine a lot of credit because I've, I've put her through, you know, like some really terrible movies or, or movies that I think are fantastic, but um, not for the average person. But no, 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 no. And this is not a... This is not a movie. This is not a family movie. This is not a happy movie. This is not a movie that you would you would watch with a girlfriend or a spouse and say, "Isn't love great?" <laughs> right. Yeah. After I watched it first, I was like, "Yeah, you probably don't want to watch this with your spouse." <laughs> mm. That was hysterical. Yeah. So Cooper, uh, he he kind of like uh, warned me a little bit. I'm talking to the uh, the audience here. He's like, uh. It's like, you might not want to watch this one with your wife. And I was like, okay, color me even more intrigued. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, fuck. Um, but yeah. But back to, I guess, the, the look of the film. There, It was really color-wise and picture-wise, I don't know, there was something about it. I never could figure out what the actual film stock that they used was mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or anything like that but or lenses or any of that sort of stuff something european <laughs> right but yeah it, uh, it looked great especially for a movie you know the there wasn't a lot of film grain like you would anticipate from something shot in the 80s in europe like it yeah. was a pretty smooth very smooth and it looks fantastic still like if you if you get your hands on the blu-ray version of it Watch it. it. It looks good. Uh, let's see. I thought it was uh, kind of interesting. Some of the sort of, I forget what you call those, where the, like the angle is off. It's like off canter. Um, something that would be done in a lot of kind of film noir he mm -hmm. sort of snuck a few of those angles into the film. A Dutch angle, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where like, or like even in Batman, you know, they would like turn the, the old 60s show, they would sort of turn the camera like on a, on a kind of a funny angle. Versus yeah, yeah, yeah. On. Basically you're like off kiltering it. You're kind of, it's kind of like at a 45 degree angle. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it's called a Dutch angle if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you're absolutely right. It is. Um, some of the close-ups were just amazing and i think uh the actress that played anna she had some she had such a soft feminine femininity to her 
I mean, she was almost like angelic to some degree. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of hard, just an interesting juxtaposition to like what was going on with her, right? And like having this affair with uh, basically Cthulhu. Um, sure. <laughs> I, I I like the angelic uh, quality. I mean, there there she, there was definitely a softness in her appearance. That is. You mentioned that scene, and I'm not sure if it's exactly the same one, but it's the first scene where Mark confronts Heinrich. I really loved the camera work in that scene. Um, it's almost like a ballet or a dance in the way that the camera kind of moves around them. Yeah, but, and yes, but he's also moving, yeah. which makes it distracting and dizzying, and for me, not in a good way. It just felt, for me, it felt a little heavy-handed. If the camera work is doing that type of stuff, then it works for me. But just like his whole, like, new wave, um, you know, like, new wave philosophy and, you know, like, I don't know. For me, I, that and at that point, like, Sam Neill was being such a little fucking bitch um, (laughs) that I... I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly care for that scene, but again, it, for me, it, a lot had to do with the, the character, like whether it's the direction or the character choices or just the, the blocking in general, it didn't, the camera wasn't doing the work, like camera was doing work and then actors were doing, doing that movement and like ballet, um, I think is a fair term, but I don't like the camera doing a ballet and actors also doing yeah. a ballet in the same scene. Yeah, no, I I'm, I definitely agree with what you're saying because he, yeah, what the fuck is he doing? He's like flailing around and like flopping around, kind of mm-hmm. awkwardly. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's something, something is you know there there is some type of significance, or at least God, I pray that there's <laughs> some like type of significance. Otherwise, you know. um, it's just weird, and for me as a viewer, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I get into this type of stuff. For me, it was distracting yeah. to the point where I couldn't be invested in this relationship and the relationship between them, which we see later on. You know, like uh, the way that there's kind of like a shift between who has the power in their in their in their the relationship. Dynamic, yeah. You know, and the, it it didn't. It didn't work because of that that character blocking and that the, those choices that were made on camera, as opposed to the camera doing doing those type of maneuvers. Yeah. Um, another shot that I really enjoyed and really, I guess, set wise was it was the first subway scene where we actually see Anna goes on the train. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shot of her like looking up the steps uh, to the subway platform. Dude, I love the dude. Eat, was it, wasn't he eating her food? <laughs> yeah, uh, he just uh, he's sitting there next to her and he just grabs a banana off the oh, that off was the bunch so and starts that, eating it. I take it back. That was my favorite scene <laughs> in the whole movie. I'm like, that is epic. Just some hobo on a fucking on a train taking her banana or just whatever. Reaches in. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of goes into. 
there was a contrast, uh, Zulowski said, of there was a lot of blue in the movie, blue and yellow. And if you notice, I think even the train cars were yellow in that scene. Mm, mm-hmm. And Anna had on that. She wore almost the entire film was in that blue dress. And sometimes you'll see people are wearing like a yellow shirt with a blue tie and different things like that. So there was definitely, even though Zulowski kind of admits he's not a big fan of color, but, you know, obviously like what blue is always something, what cold, austere, mm-hmm. dead, it's creepy. Inter- and he says that he's not a big fan of blue. And yet like color is some of the things that are like the most attractive things on this, you know, in the movie. And this is a really, really morbid thing to say what I'm about to say but when you do have a lot of the blues and the grays that they use in the movie, because they're all over the place, when you see, um, like, uh, Anna's, like, blood drool, like, after he smacked her around a few times, and she's on the street, and, you know, she just, like, like bleeds from her mouth or whatever it is, like, that use of red and that color is very, very vibrant, right? Yeah. And then... And then the green eye effect of the doppelgangers, like it, it's it's so it's such a bad color green, but it's attractive and 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 you do look at that. So the use of color is something that's compelling about this movie, despite whatever how he himself feels about color. Yeah, he said sort of the gray, the gray in the film was sort of what brought those two together between the blue and yellow and that sort of contrast between so I think he was saying that Mark's apartment was in West Berlin and Anna's was in um a Turkish neighborhood Kreuzberg in East Berlin which was much more austere and gray and sort of dark and kind of bombed out almost poor kind of neighborhood mm-hmm. but damn the streets were beautiful there do you know yeah. the scene I'm talking about it's like a long shot you see all the way down the street. The streets are completely empty. It's like got the cobblestone streets. I mean, beautiful imagery. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in its like harshness, its austerity, it was just visually amazing. Another scene that, or the image that really got me was the shot of the kind of the carved out Christ figure on the cross that Anna sort of looking up at. Yeah, and just sort of the way that the shadows cast over a little bit of Jesus's face, and just that like little stare down moment that they have. Yep, uh, looking up at Jesus, and it uh, just yeah, the looking down, her looking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another one of my favorite moments, camera wise, was when Mark runs into the the Stieg bar or restaurant, whatever that was, to confront mm-hmm. Heinrich. And <laughs> the ca- the camera's, like, on the other side of the bar. So he, like, he's running from one direction, and the camera's, like, coming from the other direction. Right. It may There was a few moments like this in the film where you have this, like, camera's going one way, characters are going the other, and it created this, like, really cool effect because we're looking head on at this shot of the restaurant or bar, which is kind of like on a corner. And so Mark is like approaching from our right side and the camera is kind of like coming from the left. Yeah. 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 Just a really interesting like tension there in the, in the visual. 
Um, there was a n- any number of times where the camera was r- swirling around the characters. This happened s- several times that I thought was, I don't know, kind of helped with the mood of this kind of otherworldly, like, discombobulated sort of sort of feeling that tied into like what the what the hell is going on at any moment in this film okay i've talked about that all right i've talked about the bar scene uh the uh spiral staircase at the very end of the film yep that was awesome you gotta love good, yeah. You yeah. gotta love a good spiral stair- staircase in any movie. Like if you're if you, when you show those, they're they're just money. I definitely had a very like baroque quality, and the wrought iron work had a certain elegance to it. And then, last but not least, the final shot of of Hannah's face in those close ups, where the kind of lights are flickering on and off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought it was great, but yeah, I thought uh, visual visually, like we said, I mean, really impressively shot film. It kind of reminded me a lot, to be honest, of um, maybe just the handheld work with uh, the thin red line. Oh man, uh, okay. Specifically, kind of that, just because you know, there's so much movement in that in that film, and I thought, I don't know, that's immediately where my kind of head went because I'm trying to think of okay. an, of another film that had that much movement that we've discussed, and that's the one that comes uh, to mind the most because that was really like so much of that was handheld, or the camera being on a gimbal or tracking a lot of movement. Hmm. Huh. But I'm ready to tackle some of the themes here. In which there are a plenty. <laughs> so first of all, I, for me, I think that the title Possession, like in this sort of film, you kind of lean towards this means that, you know, Anna is possessed by this supernatural presence or whatever the fuck this Cthulhu creature is. This, But what I think my theory or my reading is that possession is 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 Anna herself like she is Mark views her as his possession like her sexuality her femininity like she sort of belongs to him that's that exactly all right when you were saying possess like I was wondering where you're going with that but yeah possession not in somebody being possessed but a an ownership of someone exactly yep um, Zulowski said that this is a love story about people who can't be together, which I think resonated for me in the, you know, I've had definitely had at least one or two relationships where, you know, it was like fire and ice. <laughs> right. It's like when you dr- or when like when you drop the water in in some grease and you know you get that. <laughs> <laughs> that sizzle. Again, with uh, Berlin, he really, very poetically, Zulowski called it a city of divided hearts, and which I think also kind of plays into the into the themes here, too, because we have Mark, who is, like, he's obviously 
incredibly distraught by this whole affair and situation with Anna, at least at the beginning, right? Um, but he still wants to be with her. Like he still Des- wants, yeah. he like, still wants so to reconcile. Desperately. Yeah. yeah. And then even after he uncovers, like he ends up walking in and seeing her actually like having sexual intercourse with this beast. And he's not like horrified even. He just like kind of like kind of stands there and he's like willing even to the end to like escape with Anna, which is kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So like to go with that, just because you were talking about, um, you know, this uh, couple that, you know, can't be together, like as a viewer, right? Because we are not Sam Neill's character and we're not the actress uh, who played Anna. We're we're neither one of them, right? But as viewers, we, if you're going to watch a movie like this, you should there should be at some point a want. We, we want them to be together. We want some type of connection or whatever. But I just didn't, again, this is, and this is for me, like why the movie fails in certain ways is because I never gave a shit. I didn't give a shit about their relationship. Like, I, 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 like whether he was moaning and groaning or she was you know, moaning and groaning in a subway, um, like I, I just, I was never ever compelled like that their relationship was interesting enough for them to be together. But that's just, yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, I definitely want to touch back on that element of the title referring to maybe even female sexuality as the possession, um, that ultimately, I think, is what the the dangerous antagonist of the film is presented as, as her her sexuality is kind of the that antagonist, right? In a sense, but also the insecurity at the heart of of Mark's masculinity, you know, and the way that he like whenever he finds out, right? He doesn't shave for like a week, and he's just kind of like. Writhing or back and forth on his bed, freaking out. <laughs> Again, just the the acting. I just, I, I saw Sam Neill do these things, and <laughs> I just didn't believe Sam Neill doing these things. But for me, for me, there was something in there about about the male masculinity and feelings of inadequacy and the, like, because even later on in the film, she tells Mark that Heinrich was a better lover than he was. But, and, and, and that just said, that's such a powerful line. Like, but it wasn't powerfully executed by the talent on camera because that would that should be a devastating line and it, it just for me it doesn't land it doesn't land like so many of the other lines in the film like the emotional weight of some of these things other than just somebody like acting chaotic but i i never felt that they earned those moments 
and that's that, that's that that's that's why I couldn't because that line right there, like you know, wasn't that they were talking? Was that the scene when they were on the phone or when they were together? I can't remember. Um, I think they were actually together whenever she okay. told them that. Um, but yeah, like I, I just remember that line. It's like, bro, you don't ask that question. Then she gives it the answer, and I'm like, oh, that's devastating, you know, on the surface. But I'm like, well, who fucking cares? Because it just feel it, it just didn't feel real. I think though that's, well, I think you're sort of right in that it didn't have the really the emotional weight that you would anticipate, in a sense. But I think it's interesting, like in terms of thematically, this idea of like the fragility of the of the masculine ego, mm-hmm. in particular when it comes to like sexual things, right? Like, is it almost like what's worse? Like that's kind of like the ultimate insult for a man, in, in a certain sense, like in this kind of idea of a like a toxic masculinity, right? Is right. If you're, if you're like, if you can't satisfy your lover, like that's the, to- the ultimate shame for a man mm-hmm. is to, and so it's like, there's a desire to know, right. But you don't like, you don't want to know. And I think that plays into a lot of this as well, just in the sense of like Mark trying to figure out like what's going on is <laughs> like, like he, he doesn't want to know, but he he can't help himself. Right. Like there's something seductively awful. Some there's like an element of a masochism there. Right. Which this is also like the perfect movie for incels. Mark is almost like sort of an incel, right? And definitely like taking it to the extent of he actually beats the shit out of Anna slaps her like repeatedly which was yeah. pretty hard to watch no that was yeah just uh like all right just a little you know domestic abuse on camera all right let's 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 go but it's it's like him he's lashing out over this uh this perceived like slight to his to his manhood his, his yeah, and his. it's worse because she's, apart from the fact that she's bleeding, she's not even, like, emotionally phased. Yeah, she just takes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another, aside from the kind of deconstruction of masculinity and femininity and that contrast, well, really, I guess that actually kind of ties into there's a whole series of dialectical relationships, contradictions, binary oppositions, because we have the contrast between East and West Berlin in the physical, like in the, in the actual physical space that they're inhabiting from, like I said, the very austere, gray, dark East Berlin versus the kind of more colorful and bright West Berlin. We have obviously the man-woman relationship, we have that faith and that chance contrast as well. Mm -hmm. We have love, we have hatred, we have madness, we have sanity, and there's so many, like, we can go down the list of each of these things, and there's so many of them that are presented to us in the film, these juxtapositions. Mm -hmm. 
I thought there was an interesting to that end. I think this was a quote. He said, uh, we are all the same, but different words, different versions. No, wait, was that the filmmaker said that? I can't remember if that was something Zulowski said or I think it was. Huh. That's a good line. <laughs> yeah, it definitely plays into kind of the like like a Lacanian sort of element of the the subject like us as a individual or a self being sort of a mythologized. Like it's a myth, mm-hmm. it's not a real thing. We're just different labels, but we're all in a sense like everyone is no one and no one is everyone. Very postmodern. <laughs> Zulowski, so the character of Heinrich was actually some, some, a real person. I don't know if his name, I don't think his name was actually Heinrich, but he was some type of guru in real life that was in sort of that. This was like new age wasn't quite a thing yet, but he was sort of in that direction. Um, But what was interesting is the way that Zulowski described Heinrich as, as not as knowing. And he wasn't specific about what he knows, but I think knowing and like kind of a, a very poetic sense and Mark doesn't know and that's why he looks so foolish compared to Heinrich and Zulowski said that's why Heinrich made made love better than than Mark because he knew you get the uh, the vibe from like an actor like uh, that the dude that played Heinrich was like some type of like Euro trash version of <laughs> Anthony Hopkins like like circa like Silence of the Lambs um they're like they like same i think they're like the same size same build and everything and just like heinrich's like open shirt um uh, as he's like kicking sam neil's ass it just reminded me a little bit of like hannibal lecter yeah definitely he had like two or three buttons undone too many yeah for sure and he's also doing karate he's going bruce lee on his ass yeah <laughs> It, it was so out of like nowhere just like how he just dropped that shit like it was just like a weird form of karate too it was like a little like capoeira type shit going on and it was just so odd another great quote from Zulowski here oh this is really good actually we are all unhappy and we don't deserve it we would love to see things around us in us be otherwise we don't know how to deal with that how to do it I don't think we're basically bad. We just don't know. Acting is a way to show it. If you see an actor who knows, it doesn't work. They can project the image of someone that doesn't know, and this is what makes them lovable and near to our hearts. And then he goes on to say that Hitler, Stalin, and maybe Bill Clinton knows, but Zulowski himself said he doesn't know. (laughs) Another great quote. Cinema is a bizarre thing. It's composed of of the haphazard. It reflects what we go through in real life. The ambition is immense. Incidents, accidents, I rather like because a film isn't engraved in marble. It's a puff of light. 
it's nothing full of meaning. Doing a film, what you can't do is as important as what you can do, and the balance of that is interesting to contemplate. He also mentioned, I thought this was pretty neither here nor there, but an old communist kind of saying or joke was, you know, people want to be liberated, but liberated towards what? What do you want to do with your liberty? Do you liberate to construct or to destroy? Mm. That's <laughs> not, uh, I apologize that. That's that's a that's a good fucking quote. I thought that his analysis of kind of actors too was really really quite brilliant in a sense. Like I I don't know if I could articulate exactly what he means by knowing, but it's it sort of it. I don't know. Like he's communicating something that I think is real about that that's the great thing about actors is they like there's i don't know i kind of describe it as maybe like a childlike quality in a sense especially when in the context of what he talked about like hitler or you know these people that actually know and so they can if they don't if someone doesn't know then we can have a pathos they have a pathos about them mm-hmm. versus if they know then we can't we right all they all you can do is hate i don't know if i necessarily agree or disagree with it but it, it but it's but it's interesting what about thematically like i know you said you struggled with the film anything thematically that kind of stood out whatsoever um yeah just the the whole idea of of god like god is kind of like thrown uh thrown at us throughout the film god is obviously a major thematical like issue and then um with just the idea of like different creations and being created in 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 uh god's eye and and so there that for me was something that i definitely saw was just that um God was a presence in this film, like throughout, like thematically. Um, and in addition to the fact that obviously this was a, you know, a, a filmmaker that was dealing with some, some personal shit felt like on the other side that he was trying to do something, uh, very theological and, Theological is that the right word? I'm thinking. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, that that was that was a big driving driving force of these characters' behaviors and shit. There, I think there were a couple lines in the movie. Um, oh God! Um, not nah, <laughs> I unintentionally saying oh, oh God, <laughs> but um, there was a scene like when Mark saw was I think it was Mark when he saw for like the first time he was like my God um, and just like some of these things like just the use of God in this movie is used several times so I'm not gonna say that it, like he hits you over the head with it but the idea of of God is something that is a major driving force in this movie thematically. 
Yeah, there was a scene too where Mark is talking about how a dog came to the, the house, his house when he was a boy, and went to die underneath the house, and how kind of Mark crawled under the porch with him to see mm, like, uh-huh. why the dog had had come there to die, and somehow that ties into the, this element of of or this uh, this critique of religion. And sort of, you know what I mean? It's kind of like there's a, there's sort of a vulgar, visceral, dark, you know, just like devoid of hope or devoid of light, cru- cruelness to existence and the world. And this image of the dog kind of just going there to maybe like a place of comfort to die. Mm-hmm. When I was a boy, then, my dog crawled out onto the porch to die. Before the end, it yelped as if it had seen something real, I think was a quote he, did, he mentioned. Yeah. And then again, the whole idea of of the doppelganger as a form of a rebirth, um, you know, is obviously there. And um, with the green eyes, again, green being another, like, thing of rebirth, something that, like, Alfred Hitchcock used in Vertigo with the, like the color of green when she comes out of the bathroom with the green shimmer. Just the idea of like green just shows another form of like rebirth and the the doppelgangers, like I said, ha- said having uh, green eyes. It's interesting that you mentioned Vertigo because I was I couldn't quite I don't know if this really quite worked, but I was thinking this was almost the reverse of. In Vertigo, I forget the main character, but he sort of recreates the dead woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, that's kind of what Anna does. Yeah. Because eventually at the end, she, so this creature or whatever it is, ends up being, taking a human form and basically being Mark, but with some crazy eyes. Yep. Mm-hmm. The contacts, Zulowski said just that they had him where just he really wasn't happy with. They were supposed to look more so like Anna's doppelganger, Hannah. Right. Um, but they, did, they just funny. didn't photograph the same. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the other things I also thought about is I'm like this is a bizarro vertigo. Like it, it, it's not vertigo, but it's it's a form of vertigo in reverse, and it's funny that you had the same take on it because it was one of the things that I thought about. Except Mark was still alive. Is the only thing that kind of like yep, fucked up exactly. that whole like yep. mm-hmm. messed up with the poeticness of that. But then I guess he does die at the very end. So I don't know. But I wonder what that means to like. Why would she recreate Mark? whom she hated like she Mm -hmm. she tells him that that she hates him yeah so why would she recreate that through this creature or did this creature just assume his form and like i don't know what was the what was the point of that exactly maybe there wasn't you know Mm mm-hmm there was a lot of uh 
really Here's good quotes. <laughs> By all means, please continue after this. Sure. This might be one of the one of the smartest movies ever made. This might be something fantastic. This might be whatever. Throw out whatever you want, like one of the coolest cult movies. There could be so much shit going on in this movie. But for me, it all stops because of the fact that the acting I find is just over the top and doesn't didn't allow me anyway an opportunity to get into or be invested in it. But there's a there's a lot of shit happening in this movie. But like the acting, it, it frustrates me. It frustrates me to the point where this is one of those scenes where good, uh, bad acting in in a really cool stylized movie can limp. Eh, fuck it. I'm going to end my thought there. It wasn't for me. That's all I'm going to just say. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Definitely, like I said, I don't know if it's one that I really want to watch again or that's got that much rewatch value but i'm definitely glad that i was exposed to it and you know it just gives me like an extra i don't know perspective on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on filmmaking and like expands that like reference you know kind of like i've okay i've got a reference point for what this is and certainly someone like myself who is you know visually like camera movement all of the sort of cinematography elements are definitely something I'm drawn to. And f- most of the films that I like have a certain technical like aspect in that sense right, or some right. like an artistic flair when it comes to the visuals in the film. Although like not all the time, it doesn't have to have like outstanding visuals or camera work to be a, a film that I enjoy, but they often do have that. I think probably the thing that I least care about in a movie is the plot. Okay. I think maybe, and I think there's a difference too between between story and plot. Mm-hmm. Oh, there absolutely is. And so a lot of times a movie like this that may, you know, it's definitely shows it seems in certain areas. I think there's just like a, I'm looking back through some of the the great quotes from the movie, and some of these are really outstanding, <laughs> Just uh, even just outside of the context of the film. I'm trying to find one here that I really like. <laughs> Here's one from Anna. You think I'm immoral? Say it. I think so too, but for different reasons. <laughs> like, that's really good. Another quote from her. I think you delivered that line better, though. <laughs> Another line from her. No one is good or bad, but if you want, I'm the bad one. And if I knew he existed in this world, I would never have had Bob with you. Yeah. And she's talking about her lover. I'm not sure if that's Heinrich or the creature. Yeah. And again, like the line is good. But like when it was delivered for me, it was just another another thing where that... That, that's just a line that I felt could have been, if you have Meryl Streep like delivering it, it's like, holy shit, boom, like that, like you're no longer human anymore. Like you've just been completely emasculated in all facets. 
What about this moment? This is one that I quite liked as well, is whenever Mark said, if I lay at your feet and yelp like a dog, would you still step over me? <laughs> Here's a great quote from Mark that kind of goes to a little bit about that divided heart element. He's talking to Anna. You know, when I'm away from you, I think of you as a monster or a woman possessed, and then I see you again and all this disappears. Mm-hmm. Another great quote, love isn't something you can just switch from channel to channel. This is, who the hell is hell? Oh, okay. I think this quote is just misattributed. Oh, so, so that was from the film. We are all the same, different words, different bodies, different versions, like insects, meat, before she stabs Heinrich. Mm-hmm. And of course, what about this one whenever, I forget who she's talking to. It might be one of the um, detectives. Right, the detective or his lover. Um, so she's talking about the creature saying, he's very tired, he made love to me all night. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty grotesque. And this too, this moment, um, this you referenced this earlier. Uh, this is Mark to Anna. You look ugly. You've hardened. Yeah. For the first time, you look vulgar to me. Yeah. Just thinking about, again, this is a guy that has seemingly been obsessed with his wife, even though their marriage has been on the rocks, and she leaves him and is sleeping with, a couple other, you know, uh, <laughs> things out there. And and then that, like, you know, that him to say, like, that, you know, she looks, like, vulgar um, or grotesque to him. It, it, it just, it's just, it's, it's a good line. It's a good line. But I think I'll uh, wrap things up with just, I neglected to talk about a couple of points in the movie that I think we should highlight for the folks before we finish things up is number one the first thing that i heard about this movie was there is an insane miscarriage scene <laughs> mm. which this is where anna in the berlin berlin subway i think it was like in the middle of the night that they shot it so she basically like is thrashing around she's flipping the fuck out she starts to have I guess a miscarriage of this crazy creature. So she's got blood and it looks like honestly cum leaking out of her, <laughs> like tons of, yeah. This. Yeah. She's on her knees and like, it's a viscous cum blood. It's running out of her mouth. It's running like everywhere. And she's like thrashing around in the ground. So a pretty long scene too, like you mentioned, I mean, it goes on for at least what, a minute, mm -hmm. maybe longer. One of the like kind of famous or the scenes that this film is famous for. So I think we just needed to mention that. We didn't quite mention that earlier. And then we did discuss that Mark witnesses the creature making love to Anna. And so I just want to go into a little bit more graphic detail that like Anna is on her back 
And then basically she has this tentacled creature on top of her. And we see it's got like, I don't know if this is its penis or what it is, but like it's, <laughs> it looks like maybe the thing's tail. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe is what he's like penetrating her with. And she's saying something like, not yet, not yet, as the thing is is fucking her. <laughs> and Mark is like getting cucked yeah. <laughs> off in the corner. Yeah. Um, it's something. And then the way that the film ends too, like, I wonder if there was a conscious like reference to any of the Lovecraftian mythos or any of that. Cause it definitely had that element for me. And specifically there's a, uh, a graphic novel series that Alan Moore did called Providence where basically the sort of Cthulhu verse and our universe kind of like merged together mm. and this sort of, so there was like kind of an apocalyptic element and that sort of, plays into this too because at the very end that doppelganger of Mark's shows up at the door oh yeah and we didn't mention too I guess I fucked up on my synopsis that whenever that happens little Bob goes and throws himself in the in the bathtub and drowns himself and then ostensibly there's like I don't know if they're nuclear weapons or what the implication is but I I'm assuming that that's the case and that there's an apocalypse. Basically, this is the end of the world at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a, what a wild ride this was. Yep. <laughs> I, I really, and I apologize for anybody who thinks that I'm just trying to play a hater on this. This is a movie that I want to watch, or want rather a movie that I wanted to enjoy, but I'm going to have to watch again just to see if I have any other deeper appreciation for it. Like, I don't know. I think part of me was going into thinking that I'm like, I'm going to watch this weird movie. Maybe it's going to remind me of Altered States. Maybe it's going to remind me of Videodrome or some of these other fucking nuts, uh, like completely crazy, like eighties movies. Um, and it is, but in a different way. But it just, I, I never really got invested in what I was watching. Fair enough. I'll just say, yeah, the cinematography is great. It's a cult classic. Check it out if you like weird, crazy shit. If you like Lovecraftian horror. Yeah, definitely like, check it out. Definitely, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, don't yeah no without a doubt check this movie out you should see this movie i i think like yeah i i texted you last night i'm like yeah i saw it maybe i'm better for it like (laughs) question mark you know like i don't know maybe this is a movie that maybe my opinion will never change about this movie but for somebody that's passionate about it it's like oh my god you've seen that can we talk about blah 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 they might perhaps offer some form of insight or interesting form of dialogue or narrative that we might be able to talk about. But yeah, it was, it's one of the the few times that I've seen a movie that, that I just didn't connect with. 
which again, I'm, for me, I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the fact of just how much the movie didn't do anything for me. Yeah, which I think is interesting because I, I would say that at least most of the time, I'm probably the more difficult one of us to please. Yeah, yeah. Usually, like, yeah, it's got to... Things have to hit on a certain wavelength for me to really appreciate them. And although, like, this didn't, like... Right, so this didn't... Let's say that you get a, you have a sledgehammer and, like, you're hitting something, so it... it hit like most like 75% right dead on mm-hmm. but didn't quite crush it the way that something like the thin red line or no country for old men or any of those kind of top top 5 films that we've gone over did mm-hmm. but as a filmmaker and especially someone that like i said has an interest in cinematography and camera movement and work definitely glad to have this film in my vocabulary visually to reference yeah, I think, and and that's fair. Any uh, any other final thoughts you want to share before we sign off? Um, no, go watch it. Just watch it. Make up your own impression of you know and determination of what you saw, and if it's something that that inspired you, I mean. I think that it is a film that should be taught in film courses um, <laughs> just so people can go ahead and, and take a look at like why, you know, the, the why, the why do like, this is a movie that is now approaching 40 years old. People talk about it. So why do they talk about it? What is interesting about the movie? Cause there's really nothing in this movie that maybe hasn't been done now but why do people go back to this film? Like, what is it about this movie that people are still compelled to watch? And that, I think, at the end of the day, is one of the most important things, is the fact that we're still talking about in 2019. So there's something there. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe I'll find it. I just haven't found it yet. I would also recommend, if you don't, if you get a chance, I don't even know if you can find it, but if you can see a screening of On the Silver Globe as well. Like, Zulowski is someone that I identify with as a filmmaker in terms of the basically what his goals are. I don't know if I would use the exact same methodology to achieve the goals, but mm-hmm. whenever you see a Zulowski film, you're going to get beautiful visuals, great costuming, beautiful camera work. You're going to get over the top. Like that's kind of his trademark is this dialogue being delivered in this really heavy handed way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these kind of heavy handed themes that he deals with, which, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give him some credit or I'm willing to indulge him a little bit, probably more than you are. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to be in store for that. And I would recommend at least visually, if you're someone that likes those aspects, definitely check out his body of work. And, uh, yeah, that's all I've, I've got to say today. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in this week to our review of possession and Andrew, once again, thanks for bearing and grinning through this, uh, 
unpleasant film experience? Dude, I just hope that you have me back after <laughs> after my my abundantly clear uh, dislike of the film. Uh, I I like I said, I want I wanted to be able to uh, appreciate this movie in the same way that you do. Yeah. And yeah, just have me back. I I, I promise I'll be better. Uh, it's okay. Well, I, it's I mean I think it's more it's not so much about whether we personally both like or dislike a film. It's about the discussion sure and like digging into the film as like it's like we're reading you know a piece of literature a poem or something right and we don't necessarily have to enjoy it but like let's talk about it and i think explore it and if you don't like it that's just as valid of an opinion as as mine or anyone who like really really loves this film and thinks it's amazing so i think the discussion and the pursuit and that is that's the valuable part that we're, you know, trying to create for someone who's listening. Yeah. So don't feel bad. All right. I've definitely had, I mean, there's a couple that I haven't liked as much, so. Fuck you. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, there's still about, like I said, even a movie that I don't like or didn't quite connect with, I can always find something interesting about. Sure. Or at least, like, yeah, it's like I need to have this film as part of my vocabulary. So, you know, something like The Player, which didn't quite connect with me all that much. It was still, like, something that I needed to have in my film vocabulary to be able yeah. to speak to. And, you know, it had its moments, right? It had its, like, influence and and things like that. So don't, uh, don't feel like your opinion's not valued because it absolutely is. And I think, too, the fact that you... Didn't I mean we don't have to always agree with everything either, and the fact that you probably come from more of a writer's perspective and I come from more of, um, I guess cinematography element is good. Like that's a good like tension there. Sure. So yeah, without a doubt. But this is podcast care of Cooper Cherry signing off for the week. <laughs>